Hi, this is Cinda Williams, and I am extremely blessed to tell you about a new book on survival called Faith, Failure, and Success, Volume 2, Surviving the Storm. Erica Summers, Martha Chavez, Latrice Rice, Nicole Reed, Vanya Hudson, and I have come together to share our deepest, darkest challenges with you and how we overcame. Please check it out on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. Cinda Williams here and welcome to Season 3, Episode 15 of the PPC Podcast. I've been working on changing the voices in my mind. People from my past, things that I've read, my own misconceptions takes time. It's not easy, but I'm in to do it. And on that note, let's get on with it. Most everyone at some point in their lives experience disbelief. Disbelief from family, friends, preachers, teachers, strangers. Almost everyone experiences someone saying, no, you can't do that. As a matter of fact, every autobiography I've ever read, and that's been quite a few, are packed with these stories. If someone chooses to drive on their own road, go against the grain, or walk to their own beat, there's always going to be somebody that's going to say, you're going to fail. Well, my guest today, therapist and a mother and family woman, has had many naysayers in her life, but I'm going to let her tell you all about it. Everybody, introducing Carla Curtis. Curtis, welcome to the PPC Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes, I'm, I'm very thankful that you um, reached out to me. And it's I love doing um, podcasts with people I know and, and know something about them. But I really thrive off of learning about new people. And so thank you for for um, coming on with me. We, this is our first time we've met. So before we get into what you're doing now and all that, I always want to go back to your early life. Where are you from? What was your family life like? And how did your early life give you what you needed to take you on the road that you're on now? Okay. Um, early life. I was born in Springfield, Illinois. I have one brother, a couple years younger than me. I also have a half-sister and brother, but we have the same father. So raised in a two-parent home, my mom, my dad, and my brother. Had a pretty good upbringing. Um, yeah, 
pretty good upbringing, um, close to my dad's family, got together all the time. Um, you know, I think what I learned a lot from my parents is they had a really good work ethic. And so that definitely has helped me in all of my um, adventures as an adult, you know, working. They're very family oriented. Um, and so I think that's helped as well. You know, my mom always taught me to treat people right, to um, encourage people. So I believe that that's helped as well. And my mom, even though it used to kind of upset me when I was growing up, she always made sure that my brother and I and my, my daughter and, and nieces and nephews pronounced words accurately, always made sure we were writing accurately. And I used, it used to just drive me up the wall. But now that I'm older, I see what she was trying to do. Uh, I mentioned my daughter. I have one daughter. She's grown. Um, she's married. She has three children. She is a nurse practitioner, so she's doing well and a small business owner. I had her very young. I was a teen mom, so I had her at 18. So, you know, that journey from 18 through early 30s was interesting because I was still growing myself. You know, I didn't, you don't know, in my personal opinion, you're still growing up you know, from 18 to, to 30. So we kind of grew up together. But I'm, um, again, very proud of her. Um, I left home, Springfield, Illinois, at the age of 21. She was three. I moved to the Washington, D.C. area. I had some friends that lived there. And I had always wanted to leave Springfield because it's a small town. And, you know, everybody knows everybody. And it's just one of them, you know, small towns. You can get in a rut pretty quickly. And uh, I was supposed to go to Morris Brown College right after high school, but I had gotten pregnant. So I just started working right after high school, taking care of her. And then I moved out to the DC area. I was there for 10 years. You know, while there I worked um, at an insurance company. I worked on Capitol Hill for Senator Alan J. Dixon. He's deceased now. I worked with him for five years. After he lost the election in 92 to Carol Mosley Braun, I then started working at a private school, what they call independent schools in DC. Did that for five years. And then in 97, I made the decision to come back to Illinois. However, not to go to Springfield, I came to the Chicago area lived with my aunt for a little bit, my dad's sister, and then left her house in 99 and, no, 98 actually, and then been in the suburbs of Chicago ever since in the Schaumburg area. What was your support like when it came to raising your daughter at that age? What, how did you manage that? Because I, I know it's different for everybody. I have my, one of my sisters also had her first child at 18. And so she took a different route than, than the rest of us. Uh, and, but, you know, she came and she moved, she moved in with me. And I lived in, in Los Angeles and she came and she moved in with me. But my thing with her was, I don't even have a kid yet. You have a child, you have a child. I yeah. will help, I will babysit and once in a while, give you some release time so you can go play a little bit. But I need you to take responsibility for this baby. 
And um, I think that was a good thing. And, and it, it empowered her instead of making her feel. So, so how was your experience when it comes to that? Well, my experience, you know, my parents were, you know, supportive in the beginning, you know, they said they would support me. However, they said only with one that in the household, there would not be, um, I, I would not be having several kids and living at home. I had to work. I had to take care of her. She was my daughter. She was not their daughter. So I worked, took care of her. And then when she was three, when we moved, she stayed back maybe for a couple of weeks till I got situated. She came out there. Uh, I had to find a babysitter. I called a former pastor at, at the church that I grew up with. She gave me some resources. I called Ebenezer AME Church in Fort Washington, Maryland. Said I was new in the area. Asked um, to give some recommendations for babysitters. Found a babysitter. Uh, uh, a single mother who was awesome, who, you know, ended up being like a family member, you know, got the daycare, you know, got the job, you know, had to do what I had to do because I didn't have any family. I had just friends um, that invited me. And then once I moved out there, I reconnected with one of my mom's best friends that had left Illinois and went out there. So she was a good support. So basically what I did was I just developed a support system away from home. I was very active in the church. So, you know, meeting friends and we just kind of bonded and just supported each other. In the summer months, I did make the decision to my family and her, my uh, daughter's father's family, because at the time she was the only grandchild on both sides. And so they were, you know, hurt that I was moving away so far, far away from home. So I agreed that she could come home in the summers and she stayed with my parents and she could visit her father's family whenever she wanted to. Um, the first year I was gone, he was in Springfield. He came back and we married for a short period of time and then that didn't work out. But um, yeah, she came every summer, spent the summers. Um, yeah, my parents were supportive, her family was supportive. But again, you know, being away from home, 800 miles away from home, I truly believe it helped me grow up because again, being from a small town, my dad's sister were living. So she watched her in her early years. She babysit me and a bunch of other people. But you know, being so far away from home, being young, it teaches you survival, um, survival skills. It teaches you how to network, you know, and develop, you know, like a family away from home because as we know, blood is not always family. No. You know, and so I just connected with some great people and I'm still close to some of them till this day. And I've been gone, it'll be 25 years. We just developed um, a close bond. And again, like I said, active in church, um, you know, I worked, so got developed some friendships there. So, I believe it was a great time. And also when I was there, I worked and went to college. So I was raising her. Um, I got my bachelor's while I lived out there. And so. So what, what, what is you doing now? So that, that's, a, that's an amazing journey that you experienced mm -hmm. in your earlier years. So what, if, what are you doing now? Right now I am in, I'm a private practice therapist 
I have an office in Bloomingdale, Illinois. I work with adults 18 and up. My niche is working with adults dealing with different life transitions, you know, with that, whatever that is, you know, going through divorce, it could be a good transition, getting remarried, you know, getting acclimated, you know, if the, you know, individuals have children, you know, just coming together, kind of talking through some things. It could be someone that's relocating or had just relocated, you know, back to Illinois, just kind of help helping them, you know, with the transition. I also work with individuals that struggle with depression, anxiety, um, dealing with burnout, perfectionism. Um, oh, and then I forgot when it comes to life transitions, I have worked with individuals that have been incarcerated. So getting them acclimated back to society. So that's um, what I'm doing now. It seems like that would be, you would be an expert at that because I mean, you, when you had your child, you had to make a major transition from what you expected from college to that. And then when you made a decision to move, you had to make a major transition from that. So it seemed like, it seems like, you know, cause there's so many people that, that grow up say in Springfield and never leave. They right. never, they, they, they follow the steps, you know, that their parents, whatever. Right. And, and, and so oftentimes they're very uh, afraid of change. And mm -hmm. you went through very, at a very early age change. So do you think that that is a part of what makes you really, uh, I'm sure you're amazing at this job? I, I definitely think, you know, my earlier years and, you know, being comfortable with change. I am the type of person, I need change. Change is a good thing for me. You know, even when I left home, it was scary. Cause again, 18, three year old, uh, no family. And you know, I'm from a close knit family. You know, we get together reunions every year, all holidays, cousins, aunts. So it wasn't necessarily the easiest decision, but what I realized was that, and like I've told people, my brother and I were talking about it recently, is that I knew if I didn't try, I would regret it. Mm -hmm. And then my issue was that I could always come back home if that's what um, it led to. So my parents weren't going anywhere. I have a close-knit family, you know, I could come back and get a job and, you know, get a place to live and live there. So that's how I looked at it. It's like, if I at least have to try. And, you know, I was raised in the church and I have a, a strong faith. And so I just leaned on my faith and I just said, you know, prayed about it. And I just stepped out on faith. And what I realized and learned is that Sometimes when we want to make transitions, we want everything perfect. And at that time, it definitely wasn't perfect. I had, didn't have a whole lot of money. My car was not in the best of shape, but I was like, I'm going. And I'm going. What do you think gave you that, that courage? I believe it was, I believe it was my faith. And I believe also coming from my family, you know, most of my family on my dad's side, everybody went to school, college did different things, went to the military. And I think it, part of it came from that. And I wanted my daughter to see something different. 
I wanted to expose her to a different way of living, to see how other people live in different parts of the world, to, you know, interact, you know, with others. And it's definitely proved to be beneficial because when we came back, she was 13. So her formative years were there. And she, you know, she's now in Springfield. She wanted to move there a few years back because she never was raised there. So she wasn't raised around family. So she wanted that experience. And my grandkids have that experience, but it helped her because now she understands what I was trying to tell her about being in a small town, how it's just different because sometimes some people think that's all there is. And so, you know, because she's lived somewhere else, she has a different view of, you know, of life. And, and because of how I raised her, she believes that she can do anything that she puts her mind to because she was a young mother too and was a single mother of three, you know, until she got married. And she also worked and went to college and got her degrees just like, you know, like I did and was very successful. So, so, so when I know helping people with transitions mm -hmm. and change and all of that kind of stuff, it can be, you know, everybody's different. But do you have like a general advice that you find that you give to almost everyone when they're going through a change? You know, I think the maybe the general advice would be they have to work on changing the tape in their head to not thinking negatively as if, um, you know, what they're dealing with is going to be forever. Um, you know, talking more positively to themselves. I can make it, I'll get through. Um, you know, talking to them about tuning out the naysayers, people that will try to prevent them from, you know, getting through the transition or, or if they're just, you know, whatever they're dealing with, making them think that they'll never get through it. So I think those are the common Themes. And then I think to perfection, um, I talk a lot with clients about that being a perfectionist and how that can be uh, debilitating and prevent you from doing anything because nothing's going to be perfect in life. So I think those are the, the you know, consistent themes. It, it's funny because I just had that conversation with my daughter yesterday because she is a perfectionist. She is and she's an artist oh, and awesome. she was telling me she's she's having some anxiety and it has to do with that perfectionism mm -hmm. and because she she makes clothes and oh, she, okay. that she had an anxiety attack because she was frozen she was so afraid of making the wrong move on these pants that she put so much of herself in that she couldn't do anything at all. And, and so I talked to her about, sometimes you just gotta stop doing everything you Because, you know, she was, she, and she said, you're right, because I was hyperventilating. I, I couldn't breathe. I said, yeah, we could just stop. Right. And, um, you know, I find it interesting that some of the best work or the best inventions or the best all came from state and 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 reminding her of that 
that a mistake is just a missed take. Yes. So many people don't get that understanding of what mistake means. Mistake is not forever. Right. So when you were, um, when you were a young woman going to move away with a brand new baby, did you have naysayers that you had to get beyond? Absolutely. I had, um, I remember I had a friend at the time and she told me that her mom told her that I would never make it. I'll be back in six months. And I remember thinking, why would she even tell me that? Because if, if, some, if somebody told me that about somebody, I would never even repeat it. I just, I mean, I just wouldn't. But, and I thought, okay. And then a couple of people said, yeah, they didn't think I would make it. And I just was, I mean, they can think what they want, but I'm um, gonna try it. But I knew I was gonna make it because my, my mindset was I'm gonna make it and I won't be back to live unless, you know, something happens with, you know, family or something like that. And I've been gone, what is it, 35, six years? I left in 87. So when it was obvious that you were gonna make it, did they did they shift how they talked about you or, cause I went through that myself. Okay. And, and I'm curious that, you know, how they responded. Did they ever say, you know what, I'm sorry that I thought I, I didn't give you enough credit or did they just never say anything? I don't think they never, I don't think they ever said sorry. They didn't say sorry, but I mean, they, they were, ended up being proud of me. And I've heard through the grapevine over the years, a couple of them said we should have left when when Carla and them left. Me and some of our friends left. We should have left when they did. So I believe they were proud, you know, of me. But again, if you have other people putting negativity to, into your ear, you're young, you know, you repeat things you hear your mom say. So, and maybe their mom said that because they didn't want them to leave, you know, because that's another thing. Sometimes family do doesn't want you to leave. I mean, I know my parents, when I first told them, they were just looking at me like, what? Mm -hmm. so I said, I'm gone. I'm, I'm just gone. You're leaving? Mm-hmm. And they just kind of was like, what's your plan? I told them, they was like, I can still see my, my dad's face to this day. They just look like, she's serious. Gone. I'm not, I'm just not, I, I don't, I don't want to always live here. Well, I think that's a really important um, conversation I have with, with children and kids because what I've found is, you know, I used to do a lot of mentoring before I had my own daughter raised and mm -hmm. what I found was kids did not think that there were any choices. They really, it would never even occur to them to go beyond their neighborhood, let alone right. the state. And mm -hmm. um, I'm not suggesting that that's for everybody. Right. Who are where they want to be and they are mm -hmm. happy there and that is all that matters. But that is a choice that, that a person can make and you're a great example of that. Um, and there's so much more that I know we can talk to uh, talk about. I think when you come on to the radio show next week on April 20th, which is my dad's birthday, um, oh. God bless and rest in heaven. 
Um, uh, we will talk a whole lot more when we have Shelly Shell Williams, CJ Cadisco, and I with you about your journey and and how you are managing to help so many people. So thank you so much, Carla, for your time today. God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again next week. And thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you next week. I was very blessed as a child to have a father and a mother who taught me that it was okay to be different. I mean, their very relationship was different. There was a black man and a white woman in the 1960s who got married against the law because they believed that that was what they were supposed to do. They weren't following in the footsteps of other people. And mind you, my father was a black power, uh, sitting in restaurants he wasn't supposed to, getting in trouble, going to jail. That was my dad. Daddy fought for black people's rights. But he married a white woman. They were very educated, brilliant people. But sometimes their choices stop them from being able to further their education, especially their union. So they were very intent on teaching us that that is okay. As a matter of fact, it's imperative to make up your own mind. Now, the ironic thing is when I decided to move to New York City, my family was completely against it. They suggested I go to Chicago, anywhere, just as long as I, this lone girl, wouldn't go out there on my own and get hurt. I understood that they loved me. I understood that they wanted the best for me. But I also knew that I needed to go where my heart led me. And because of what they taught me, I was able to do that. It's very, very important to follow your heart. So if you've got voices in your head from the past or current naysayers to your choices, shut them out. Do you, do your thing and take responsibility for whatever happens. Because if you don't follow your own heart, you will always wonder, what if? Well, that's it for another PPC podcast. Thank you again to Carla Curtis for giving us so many nuggets of truths. To hear more from her, tune in to the PPC radio show Wednesday, April 20th from 2 to 3 Eastern on www.thegrownfolksradio.com, Facebook Live, and YouTube Live. Thank you, as always, to my friend and producer, DJ Kid Disco, for giving me wonderful music and production. God bless you all. Until next time, that's a wrap.
Hi, this is Cinda, and I want to tell you about the PPC Radio Show. Every Wednesday from 2 to 3 Eastern, DJ Kid Disco, Shelly Shell Williams, and I sit down and talk with wonderful guests from all over the world. We talk about how to survive healing your heart and everything in between. So go to www.thegrownfolksradio.com to listen in, or you can watch us live on Facebook or YouTube. That's the PPC Radio Show from 2 to 3 Eastern. See you there.